Last Sunday, after the service, Louise Morley texted Claire with a screenshot of me leading the service, and she was querying why I had a picture of myself reclining on a sofa there on my bookcase. Louise said that whenever she saw the picture of me on the screen when I was leading uh, the service, it made her laugh. I think she thought I just had a picture of myself lying down on our sofa for no reason other than the fact that I like to have pictures of myself around the office. Well, just for you, Louise, and for anyone else who was thinking that I am so self-obsessed and weird that I want a picture of myself just lying on my sofa on, the, on my bookcase there, then I want to show you what's really on that picture. So here's the picture. Here's the picture that Louise was referring to. There it is there, and hopefully you can all see it. And I, it's a picture of me lying on my sofa, but not just lying on my sofa. If it was just lying on my sofa, that would be really weird. But it's not just that, Louise. It's actually a picture of me and my son Daniel taken 17 years ago when he was just a few weeks old, lying asleep on my stomach. Now, if anybody else has got any questions about anything that you can see on the bookcases or any pictures or anything else that's going on around here, then please do get in touch. You know the, the email number now to contact me on. I'd be delighted to explain anything else that you're curious about. Now, we're working our way through John's gospel here at Regent. It's John's account of the life of Jesus, and the word gospel simply means good news. John's account of the life of Jesus is full of the good news that Jesus was and is God's son, God's one and only son, and came to earth to die on the cross for your sin, for my sin. And that by repenting of our sin and by putting our faith in Jesus, each one of us can have our sins forgiven and we can have a relationship with God and receive eternal life. That is gospel. That is really good news. And in the section that we're looking at today, which is John 5, 1 to 15, we have the account of a man that was an invalid and he'd been lying on a straw mat for 38 years. This picture here of Daniel and I was taken 17 years ago when we managed to get Daniel to go off to sleep for a few minutes. That, that was quite a a task when he was uh, a baby. We managed to get him off to sleep for a few minutes and I was really grateful of having half an hour's rest or so and so Claire took a picture of us. But the man in the account that we're going to read about today had been lying on a straw mat for 38 years because he had some kind of illness that meant he was an invalid. So let's read from John chapter 15 verses 1 to 15. Sorry, John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. The verses are going to come up there on the screen. And if you've got a Bible at home, you might want to read it along. So John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. And this is what John says. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the, the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. 
But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. John tells us that sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, John is less concerned about chronology in his account than he is about events and themes and things that Jesus says. John chose specific events and sayings of Jesus and has focused on them to teach us about who Jesus is and what he came to do and what that means for us today and for those right throughout history who have been reading his account. Ryan mentioned last week that the healing of the royal official's son was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed. And the account that we're going to look at today wasn't the third miracle that Jesus performed, but it was the third miracle that John chose to include in the seven miraculous signs that he records. And each one of those miraculous signs was included by John so that as we read in John 20 verse 31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John chose to record this miraculous sign so that each one of us might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. Now, if we tie John's account in with the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, it's likely that this was about a year after the events of John chapter four that Ryan looked at us, uh, looked at for us last week. And John sets the scene for us. Jesus, God come as a human being, had gone up to Jerusalem for a Jewish feast, a special feast of the Jews, probably the Passover, but we don't know for certain. And John contrasts Jesus on the one hand, the one who was the son of God, the word made flesh, the one who is sinless and perfect in every way. He contrasts Jesus on the one hand with a situation there in Jerusalem, which was characterized by physical illness, people who were blind and lame and paralyzed. These were all real physical illnesses. But John wants us to see that they weren't just physical illnesses. John wants us to see that these physical illnesses are a picture of spiritual illness or spiritual need and that Jesus was and is the answer to that spiritual need, the spiritual need that every one of us has. John says in verse two, now there was in Jerusalem near or rather now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. The Pool of Bethesda was actually discovered by archaeologists in the 19th century. And here's a picture of the site today. This was actually this picture was actually taken by our very own Paul Mullis as he and Victoria were over in Israel on holiday a few years ago. And these are the remains that you can go and see of the Pool of Bethesda. Uh, interestingly enough, people used to deny the fact that this existed. They thought John had got it wrong. But actually, when archaeologists uh, dug it up, they discovered it was exactly as John describes. This is another picture of what it would have looked like when Jesus went there and people used to go there and lie there in case the waters moved. And you can see the uh, five covered colonnades that went round this uh, complex. 
And it seems that from time to time, God would send an angel and he would stir up the waters. And the first person into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. That's what all these people were doing there. They were waiting to be healed. And John tells us in verse five, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, if we put all these clues together in this passage, we can see that this man wasn't born an invalid. He'd been an invalid, says John, for 38 years. And as we're going to see later on, the reason he was an invalid was was because of a particular sin or a lifestyle of sin that the man had begun to engage in at some point in his life, probably as a young man. And from what Jesus says to him, it seems that 38 years later, he was still engaged in this particular sin or life of sin. And so he was probably now around about 60 years of age. It seems that the man was regularly there at the pool of Bethesda in case the water was stirred up by an angel. But because of his illness, he he wasn't able to get off his straw mat and he couldn't get down into the water in time. And when Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, we read these words. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, John tells us in verse three that a great number of people used to lie at the pool. but Jesus chose to single one person out, this man who'd been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Which seems like a bit of an obvious question, a bit of a stupid question even. But actually, there's much more going on here than we might think at first. You see, the Bible teaches us that all illness, whether that's physical or mental illness, is as a result of the disobedience of Adam and Eve way back in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of time at being a creation. When Adam disobeyed God, sin entered into the world and through sin came uh, sickness and sickness then eventually brings physical death. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says this, sin entered the world through one man, it's referring to Adam, and death through sin and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So all illness, whether it's physical or mental, illness is as a result of the disobedience of Adam and the entry of sin into the world. We're all living with the consequences of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. That's why we get sick and that's why we all will all physically die at some point. But part of the point of this account of of John's is that Jesus is greater than sickness and Jesus has complete authority over sin and sickness because he's God. And so partly to demonstrate this, this As a miraculous sign, he says this in verse eight, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Jesus speaks and the sickness obeys Jesus. At once the man was cured. He wasn't cured because of his faith or because he did what Jesus told him to do. He was cured because Jesus spoke and the man was healed instantly as a result of the command of Jesus. Physical and mental illness is always ultimately caused by sin. And Jesus has complete and utter power and authority over sin and sickness and death. And this miraculous sign that Jesus performs demonstrates and shows who Jesus is. He is God in human form and he is God the son. And one day Jesus will come back to this world and will rule and will reign. He will create a new heaven and a new earth where there'll be no sickness and no death 
And God will come and live in the midst of his people. His people are all those who throughout history have accepted Jesus and trusted in Jesus. And Jesus' power over this man's illness demonstrated that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he was the word made flesh, as we looked at in John chapter one. He was God come as a human being. Jesus is the son of God and he has complete power and authority over sickness and death and can and does heal people. And the point of this miraculous sign is that as we read about what Jesus did here, we're meant to believe in Jesus and through believing we receive eternal life. In this account, a man is healed of his physical illness, but this account isn't really about physical illness at all. It's about spiritual illness. Now, physical illness is not only caused ultimately by sin, it's also a picture of spiritual illness. Sin causes physical illness, but it also causes spiritual illness and spiritual death. And we can define spiritual illness and spiritual death as being what the Bible calls being dead in your transgressions and sins. Unless a person has trusted in Jesus, they're considered by God to be dead in their transgressions, in their trespasses and sins. And they're separated from him in this life because of that sin. But they're also facing eternal death, which is separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell, a place of eternal punishment for sin. All illness is ultimately caused by sin. And it points to the spiritual illness that we all have, which is sin itself, until and unless, of course, Jesus makes us spiritually well and alive by saving us. Now, most of the time when we're sick, it's simply because we live in a fallen world, a world that's messed up and damaged by sin. And our sickness is a picture of our real spiritual illness. But there are times when God specifically allows a person to become physically sick, partly as an act of discipline for their sinful behaviour and partly to get their attention. And it seems that as we read this passage, that's what had happened with this man. Look at verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, there were a great number of disabled people waiting by the pool, all of whom uh, were ill ultimately because of sin in general, because we live in a fallen world where we all get sick. But there was one man at the pool whose illness was specifically a result of his own sin. He had done something 38 years ago or so, and it seems that he was continuing to live that way. Jesus doesn't specify what the sin was, but I'm sure the man knew. And it was because of that specific ongoing sin that he'd become physically ill and had now been an invalid for 38 years. And so Jesus tells him now that he's been cured of that physical illness to stop doing whatever it was that was the cause of the illness. Or as Jesus says, something worse may happen to you. Now, what is the something worse Jesus is talking about? Well, we can see from the rest of John 5, which we'll look at next week, that Jesus is referring to the final judgment that every human being will face as we stand before Jesus as our judge. When those who've rejected him in this life will in turn be rejected by him for all eternity and find themselves separated from God in hell. Of course, those who've accepted him in this life will see him and will stand before him as savior and will be with him then forever. Now, Jesus knew that this man's illness was specifically caused by a particular ongoing sin. 
And as an act of great grace, he steps in and cures the man. The man didn't deserve to be cured. This was God giving him an opportunity to reflect on his life and on his need to pause and to get right with God by believing in Jesus and turning away from sin. It may be this morning that you are not yet a Christian. You've yet to believe in Jesus and turn away from your sin and surrender your life to God. And it may also be that God has been disciplining you for your sin and your rejection of him. And he's been trying to get your attention by allowing you to be physically sick in some way or other. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Most people who are sick, whether physically or mentally, are sick simply because sin entered the world when Adam disobeyed. We all get sick on a regular basis, not because we've personally done something wrong, but simply because we live in a fallen world. However, what we can learn from this account is that there are times when the reason a person is sick is because of their own sin. And that was the case with this man. Now, I don't know your life or your situation. Only God knows your heart. Only God knows my heart. Just like Jesus knew this man's heart and his real situation. But it might be this morning that God is trying to get your attention. It might be that the reason you have a specific illness is actually because of your own sin. And that God is trying to get your attention so that you might pause and, and, and kind of stand back and, and look at reality and ultimately look to Jesus in faith and put your faith and trust in him and believe and be saved. Not so much from your physical illness, but from your spiritual illness, because spiritual illness means eternal separation from God. So if you're not yet a Christian, but you have an illness of some sort, it may be, it may be that God has allowed your sickness in order to get your attention, in order to focus your attention upon him. Now, for most people, that will not be the case, just like the rest of the people lying there who were ill at the pool of Bethesda. But it may, you may be like this man. And if that's the case, then can I encourage you to think deeply this morning? And even if that's not the case, then can I encourage you to think deeply this morning? Jesus is asking you, just as he asked the man there at the pool, do you want to get well? Not physically well, although he may heal you physically as well, in addition, but spiritually well. Do you want to get spiritually well? Do you want to get spiritually well today? It may be that Jesus is trying to get your attention through an illness or through a crisis of some sort in your life that he is allowed to happen so that you will focus on him because God is more concerned about your eternal destiny than your current comfort. The man at the pool had no way of getting physically well. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. This man needed someone to physically help him. And his physical need was a picture of his spiritual need and of our spiritual need, of your spiritual need, of my spiritual need. We all need to get spiritually well and we all need Jesus to do that for us. How do we get spiritually well? By turning away from our sin repentance and by believing in Jesus and by putting our faith and our trust in him and what he did there on the cross by being punished for your sin for my sin and asking him to forgive us and give us eternal life that is how we get spiritually well do you want to get spiritually well 
Or would you rather stay by the pool? Do you want to really get well? Or would you rather stay by the pool, as it were, and ignore the solution, the solution that's there right in front of you? Jesus. God is passionately concerned about the spiritual state of your heart and about your eternal welfare. And he wants to deal with your real problem, sin and death. But that requires you opening your life to him. Sadly, it doesn't seem that this man did believe in Jesus. Despite the miraculous sign that Jesus performed in his life, there's no record that he believed in Jesus. In fact, it kind of infers that he went straight off to the Jewish leaders and betrayed Jesus to them, according to verse 15. And we'll look at that again a bit more next week. The Jewish leaders certainly didn't believe in Jesus. And we're going to see next week how they were more concerned with the religious rules that they lived by than they were with who Jesus really was and by with responding to who Jesus really was. If God is speaking to you today, maybe even through an illness, then can I encourage you, don't be like the Jewish religious leaders of the day. Don't be like that man at the pool of Bethesda. Can I encourage you to listen to him and give him your attention? Because this really is a matter of life and death. It really matters that much. Now, most of you watching the service today have probably taken that step of repentance and faith in Jesus and you've had your sins forgiven and you've received eternal life. And some of you might have done that a few weeks ago, a few months ago, years ago, maybe decades ago, whenever. That's fantastic. That's brilliant. But just because we trust in Jesus, it doesn't mean that we don't still struggle with sin and sometimes find ourselves d being disobedient to God and falling short of what he wants from us. I certainly do. And just because we've had our sins totally forgiven, past, present and future, and just because when God looks at us, he now sees us as being perfect and as righteous as Jesus. He no longer sees our sin. He chooses to see the perfection of Jesus. Just because that's true, it doesn't mean that God ignores the sin that we actually commit in our lives. And it doesn't mean that God is happy about the fact that we still sin from time to time and it doesn't mean that God sometimes doesn't take action to, to, to give us opportunities to stop sinning and live his way instead. There's four passages in the New Testament where we read about people who have trusted in Jesus and have had their sins forgiven and have received eternal life but who've nevertheless had to be disciplined by God for the fact that they've chosen to sin in some way or other and have refused to confess that sin to God and repent of it. And that discipline has either involved them becoming sick in some way or other or has even led to them dying as a result of that sickness. And we haven't got time this morning to go into those passages, but you can read about them in Acts 5, 1 to 11, 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 34, 1 John 5, 16 to 17 and James 5, 14 to 16. The people in those passages didn't lose their salvation. They were people who were trusted in Jesus they didn't lose their salvation because they they committed some kind of sin. We cannot lose our salvation. If we are truly born again, then we are secure in the grip of God's grace. But in three of the four passages I've just mentioned, we read about God disciplining those he loves. And sometimes God saying enough is enough and bringing a person's life to an end because of the damage they're causing, perhaps to a local church or just to the reputation of Jesus here on earth. God's discipline might sometimes come in the form of sickness and illness. And it's always with the intention of giving us the opportunity to turn away from our sin. 
God doesn't punish those who've already trusted in Jesus when they sin. Why? Because Jesus took the punishment for our sin on the cross when he died for our sins. God doesn't punish Christians. They are those who are sheltering under the fact that Jesus has already taken our punishment. But God does sometimes discipline those he loves because he wants to bring us to our senses and get us to turn away from our sin. Our sin, which is abhorrent and offensive to him and ultimately damaging to ourselves and damaging to others around us. And sometimes damaging to our church and damaging to our uh, church community and the reputation of the gospel. But if a person still refuses to respond to the discipline that God brings into their life, which sometimes might be through illness, in some situations, and we see this in three of the four passages that I've mentioned, God might say enough is enough and take that person to be with him. As Jesus says to the man when he sees him at the temple, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And this man, the man at the pool of Bethesda, had become sick specifically as a result of his own sinful behavior. Jesus graciously healed him and gave him the opportunity then to repent, to turn away from his sin. In Hebrews 12, verses 4 to 6, writing to those who have trusted in Jesus, we read these words, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he chastens or reprimands everyone he accepts as his son. This verse makes it clear that if we've had our sins forgiven by trusting in Jesus and if we've been made right with God through Jesus, we should do everything in our power to say no to sin. This verse talks about going to the point of shedding our blood to resist sin. Now, I think it's being metaphorical, but it's making a point. We should take every measure we can to make sure we don't sin. We should take sin seriously. After all, our sin, my sin, is the means by which Jesus went to the cross. It was for my sin that Jesus was punished there on the cross. That's how seriously God takes my sin and takes your sin. Jesus was punished for it there on the cross. And that's how seriously God takes our sin. And so we need to take sin seriously and we need to struggle against sin in our lives. God's discipline is a sign that he loves us. Just as a human father sometimes has to chasten and discipline and reprimand his own children because he loves them and he wants the best for them. This is a picture of me with my son, Daniel. And sometimes, hard to believe I know, but I have, on a, one or two occasions, had to discipline my son. Why? Because I love him. Because I want the best for him. And God sometimes has to do that with us. If, we've, if we are those who love him and who are recipients of his love through Jesus. And that means that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, but we are being rebellious in some way in our life, it may be that God will discipline us in some way or other. And according to the Bible, that discipline may include illness. We, when we find ourselves perhaps with an illness that doesn't go away or is persistent and may even be terminal, we should at least ask the question as to whether the illness we have is God's discipline on us and whether there is a sin that we need to confess and repent of and renounce. Is God trying to get my attention? If we get sick, we need to search our hearts and see if there's any ongoing and 
unconfessed sin in our lives. And if there is, then the right response to that is to confess that to God and maybe to others as well, if appropriate. And then we need to repent of that sin and turn away from it and renounce it and turn once more to living for Jesus day by day. Now, please do not mishear me. I am not, I am not saying, and the Bible does not say that every time a person is sick, it's because they've sinned. That is not what I'm saying. Don't mishear me. And we need to be incredibly careful that when we see other people who are sick, that we don't judge others when they're sick and make pronouncements that the reason that that person is sick is because they've sinned. Don't do that. Don't judge others. That's between them and God. In the vast majority of cases, when a person is sick, it's simply because we live in a fallen world and we're all dealing with the consequences of Adam and Eve's disobedience. And until Jesus comes again and creates a new heaven and earth, we've all got to live with that reality of sickness and, and, and death and illness. But there will be some occasions, according to what we've seen in our passage today and according to a number of other parts of the Bible, when sickness will be caused by our own sin. And even though if we're believers in Jesus and our sins are forgiven and our eternal relationship with God is secure and nothing can change that, we might nevertheless find ourselves being disciplined by God if we have ongoing and unconfessed sin in our lives. Sin is serious. Our sin is so serious that it cost Jesus his life there on the cross when he died in our place and took the punishment for our sins ever want to know how seriously God takes sin look at Jesus there on the cross dying for your sin and for my sin and so if we've put our faith and our trust in Jesus then we need to take sin seriously and do all that we can to turn away from it day by day so today whoever you are and where whatever your standing is before God whether you're a believer in Jesus or not I want to ask you this question. Is God speaking to you today? Has God been speaking to you through the difficult circumstances of your life, maybe even through sickness and illness? Is God speaking to you today? And if so, what is he saying? And what action do you need to take? If God is speaking to you today, then please don't ignore his voice. If you've yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, then why not take that step of faith today? Respond to this miraculous sign that shows and demonstrates who Jesus is. If you're a believer in Jesus, are there steps of confession, of repentance that you need to take to ensure that you're living in a way that is pleasing to God day by day? Your eternal security is not in doubt. Your salvation is not in doubt, but you need to get right with God. You need to get right with God through Jesus. What is God saying to you today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, your word speaks to us and demonstrates that Jesus is who he says he is. That this miraculous sign that we see today in John's gospel points to and demonstrates and proves the fact that Jesus is the son of God. And we praise you for this truth. Help each one of us, I pray, to believe and respond to Jesus, to believe in faith and by believing in Jesus to receive that wonderful life that only Jesus can give, eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Father, I pray that you'd help each one of us, whatever our standing is before you today, to examine our hearts. And Father, where, when and where 
struggles and difficulties come into our lives, help us to stop and ask the question, are you speaking to us? What is it you're saying to us? And to be prepared to ask that question as to whether or not you're disciplining us. And if we're being disciplined, help us, Father, to uh, respond to that discipline, knowing that it means that we're loved by you because you discipline those you love. Father, we give you thanks for your word this morning. We thank you for it. Help us to live for you. Help us to serve you day by day. We pray that you continue with us now as we continue uh, to worship together and as we uh, continue in this service together. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.